Fashion Girl Fridays. I'm Natalie. And I'm Marin. Another What's week, up? another illness for Natalie Burris. I swear Mess. to God, it's this office. I kind of do it's too sometimes. disgusting. I don't know who's bringing their kids germs. Not me. I've never been more sick in my entire life than the past few years working here. Interesting. We have very high ceilings. You would think that the germs would like... Rise. Dissipate, yeah, rise and move around and move away. They're rising and like becoming leaders and Sup- killing us all. Super germs. If there's ever some kind of plague, I am quitting. This is the episode because it's here. the office will be taken down. Patient zero. We're not gonna make it. Is is gonna be from here. Um, you have a a shot, like a wellness shot. I have a wellness shot. I have a tea and you, a water. You we did we did a cleanse. I'm still doing it. You did two days. I did three. Yep. And. It's not working. I feel like that helped a little. Do you? Oh, good. Your skin looks good. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) You might feel like crap, but you look great. Thank you. What are you fangirling over this week? I am fangirling over a show. Now, fangirl Corinne actually messaged us on Facebook maybe three weeks ago Mm -hmm. now um, recommending the show. And at the time, I had just started it, so I didn't want to fangirl over it yet. I thought it was too soon. Okay. But now I think it's time that we fangirl over Pin15. Because I'm also fangirling over it, but I have some comments. Which we've argued about. We have. Mm -hmm. So Pin15 is two girls that are our age, like 30, playing 13-year-olds in the year 2000. And it's hilarious, and it's great. There is a specific episode I want to fangirl over, but do you want to give your bugaboos first? Well, so I started it, and I'd had this recommendation not only from Fangirl Corinne, you as well, and then another friend was like, oh my god, you have to watch this. So I started it, and after three episodes, I text you and I say, I'm not sold yet. And you just responded with, you're wrong. And I was like, no, wait, but I didn't say I hate it. I just said I wasn't I sold said, yet. you're wrong, bye. And yeah. I was on, I had taken two melatonin gummies because I was sick. Uh-huh. And I was half asleep mad texting you. Hilarious. And, but then I got to episode four and I'm now very in. I'm seven episodes in. I have three left. Mm-hmm. You have one left. My biggest bugaboo was that this is 2000 and I felt like there wasn't enough technology in the show because you are basically exactly the same age as this right yeah I was a senior in high school in the fall of 2000 which is when this is and I you know we had computers for pretty much everything I got my cell phone that year I understand as a seventh grader you might not have a cell phone but I just felt like it should be 1995 and not 2000, and so it was like throwing me for a loop for a while. And my now argument you. was, I am this as the same age. So when I was 13, yes, I was on the computer, right, and like had TV, but I didn't even have a phone in my room. I mean, I've never liked talking on the phone, right? Me either. But I, I, it felt right to me. I yeah. don't remember being surrounded by technology. Like, 12 going into 13. Right. I just felt there's a scene where the boys are w- trying to watch pixelated porn, and it's like, at that point, everyone had the, had a computer, so I feel like boys didn't have to do that anymore. I don't know. It was just I don't know. Maybe that different. was still a thing because everyone had family computers. It wasn't your own computer like it is now. Very true. Very true. I don't know. But I really want to talk about episode seven, which you just Which finished, I just watched. And it's about instant messenger. Yes. And it was so perfect. Mm-hmm. And the sensual sounds of AIM, Instant Messenger. Yeah. Wow. The doors squeaking open. How did they uh, even, like, get that 
those images. I don't know, it, it doesn't perfect. exist anymore. I completely forgot about like the buddy icons yeah. and all those little things down at the bottom. Uh-huh. Wow. I and, loved it. And your away message and then like oh man, it was a real real time. Yeah. I was kind of obsessed with AIM, but I me too. I think we didn't really get into it cuz I remember having a chat room moment like you would would go to a girlfriend's house and she was like her parents were never home so mm-hmm. we would like be in a chat room and just being totally weirded out and having no idea and I forgot the chaos of it like you just because bust it's in 30 plus people in a chat room. It's insane and like no one's having a real conversation. And everyone's just like, send me a dick pic, basically. My, yeah, it's like my all friend and I, we had a fake screen name together. Oh, and love. we would like, I don't remember how the search worked to find people to talk to. Yeah, because I don't we remember would that either. chat with people, but not through a chat room. Hmm. We'd find people. Interesting. And we'd be like, we're two college girls. <laughs> yeah, like everyone had their thing, their persona. But then... Having your own screen name, I think, was more of like a sophomore in high school kind of thing. So that would have been 1998, probably. But I remember going on AIM in what was seventh grade for me, which is, you know, then probably 1995, 96. And like fifth or sixth grade for me, we were using MSN Messenger. Mm, I don't know why. Interesting. But that was the thing. And then we moved to AOL. I remember having multiple screen names, though, and yeah. you would, like, you log up. Yeah, <laughs> so it's just, like, who's who, and, yeah, just a, a crazy time. But I also love this episode. I told you this this morning when she goes to meet the guy who she's been talking to on Instant Messenger. She has told him that she's 26, and she goes, <laughs> they, first of all, they're going to meet at a bowling alley, which right there is amazing. And she wears this, like, oversized blazer that is obviously her mother's or someone else's to try and, like, seem older. And it's like, she's 13, has a bowl cut. <laughs> like, there's no way in hell this blazer is going to make you seem older. It's perfect. But I died. It was perfect. That part of it was perfect. Loved it. And I love little Brendan. He's always, like, trying to help and mm-hmm. go buy yourself a Mountain Dew. I was like, yeah, I need a Mountain Dew. Yeah. I, it makes me want a time machine, honestly, even though, like, puberty was terrible. But oh, my God. So awful. Everything was so bright in 99, Yeah, really bright. There's a whole episode about a thong. Like, there's just – there's some great little snippets. But I thought it was a little slow to get started. Like, I had to work a little mm-hmm. bit harder than there. I anticipated. But I'm there now, nonetheless. Oh, man, it's been a while since we've had a mutual fangirl. It has. I love that. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Anything else? Anything <laughs> kind new? Of fun. Uh, no. No? No. I've been sick. Yeah. In the past two weeks, I've had two different ailments. I don't know what is happening. You're a mess. Yeah. You are a mess. Okay. Shall we just jump right into this? Because we got a lot. We have a lot, but I feel like we're going to fail. Oh, I don't no. want, I mean, I don't want to set us up for failure here. Right. You are. But you were expressing how you've only seen a lot of these movies once. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I wasn't delivering very good facts when I was doing my research oh, for these no. movies. So I don't know what's going to happen today. You're just caveating this entire episode. <laughs> yeah. I said to you, this, this episode in particular is exposing my weaknesses in a way that I didn't anticipate. Yeah. So I feel like I got to start strong. Okay. Can I go first? Yes. I am going to go with Mouse Rat, Parks and Recreation. <laughs> Great. I texted you like two weeks ago because you'd sent me a bunch of things. And I was like, before I forget, add Mouse Rat to this list. Now, if you've listened to us long enough, you know how much we love this show. 
which therefore means we love Mouse Rat. Uh, band formed by Andy Dwyer. You may remember that this band has had 40 names, 40 <laughs> additional names. I have the entire list here, but I'm not going to read all of them. I'm going to read some of the ones that are my favorites. So in a lot of instances, they were Scarecrow Boat. Like, they perform, they won, like, a Battle of the Bands as Scarecrow okay. Boat. Like, that's the kind of the big name before their mouse rat. Malice in Chains, which I always thought was very funny. Um, the Andy Andy Andes. Um, Department of Homeland Obscurity. Uh, five Skin, which I was, they were also Four Skin and Three Skin. I love that. Yeah. Grossed me out, but loved. Nothing Rhymes with Orange. Everything Rhymes with Orange. Nothing rhymes with blue orange. <laughs> Those three like really made me laugh. And then for some reason, teddy bear suicide killed me. Um, the one sticking out for me on this list, God hates figs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and then finally, when they don't play with Andy, they're rat mouse. Like I was like, that's freaking amazing. So they have several songs, actually. Really? Yes. And when I went back and was listening to them on YouTube because bless YouTube. There's Catch Your Dream, which is the song that they do for Leslie's um, election mm-hmm. or her campaign. Sex Hair, Anne, and um, and then The Pit. Most of these are from their album, The Awesome Album. Mm-hmm. But I think the song that everyone knows and loves, I think most people probably think it's just called the Little Sebastian song. Oh, it's yep. not. It's 5,000 Candles in the Wind. Like Elton John, yes. kind of. It's 5,000 times better than Candle in the Wind. Um, what I love about this song, and I read an article about it actually, that this song has sort of ostensibly become like a de facto theme song for the show. And it's kind of like its own little like meta thing for the show. Um, but it's, you know, it's we've established that Andy's not a great songwriter, not mm-hmm. a great lyricist, but Lil Sebastian has inspired him in such a way to write this beautiful ballad um and you know they play it at the little sebastian memorial and it's just like very sweet and then you just start singing the bye bye little sebastian Mm -hmm. chorus like over and over again a song that will make ron swanson cry it will and when they appeared on i think it was the like maybe the tonight show or um uh seth I can't remember what show they did when the whole cast sang it. And then remember Audrey Plaza made out with Jim O'Hare? Oh, yeah. <laughs> For no reason a in the background. They're gift. just, like, making out. <laughs> um, but Mouse at then because he also sings when he's Johnny Karate. And so I was like, is that actually like a mouse rat situation? I don't know. But they appeared several times in the show. Um, they headlined the Edward Phillips Senior Center Valentine's Day dance, um, the Little Ma- Little Sebastian Memorial, the Pawnee Unity, Con- Unity concert, which classic episode. Yes. Um, and then Paladinos, they played there. But this is also as Scarecrow Boat. So it's just like a running thing within the show that Andy has this band. His passion project. His passion project. April ends up being their manager. Um, And it's just such a fun, like, core to the show. And Chris Pratt, I don't know, I was kind of, like, getting down with some of the songs. Like, he's not terrible. almost consider Johnny Karate a fictional musician as well? Because his kid's show, I think, involved music as well. Yeah, that's why I was kind of like, well... Does this can I loop Johnny Karate under Mouse Rat or not? Because it becomes its own separate thing. There were a couple instances 
of that where I was just like, hmm. Because you don't think of Parks and Rec being a musical show. And then you no. step back and you're like, wait a minute. They do sing. There's a you lot know what's of music. crazy? Bob's Burgers has become very musical. Really? Every once in a while they would do a musical episode or something with a song. Normally song in the end credits too. But now it's like a musical episode at least once a season. I mean, good, good for them. Maybe the, sh- the writers just, you know, are ASCAP members and they just want to get their royalties. They're like, can we write a song? <laughs> Great. Cool. Or maybe all the voice actors just love to sing. All of them, for sure. Um, okay, that's that's my start. All right. I'm going to start out strong, too, because I think I'll get weaker as I go. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to start out with the obvious one, Josie and the Pussycats. Again. It's your love. It's my love. The movie came out in 2001. Very different than the cartoon. Very different. Better. Better. Some would say. Mm-hmm. Most would say. Most would say. I don't know. Joseph and the Pussycats, they're a girl group. They basically get in the middle of a conspiracy to deliver subliminal messages through pop music. Dream. It's oh, perfect. Uh-huh. I actually was reading about this movie, and Roger Ebert gave it like the absolute worst review. Oh, no. Said it was dumb. Compared to Spice World... Also said also, it was dumb. Also great. And I was just outraged <laughs> because he sounded like a bitter old man. Uh-huh. And you were like, no. But let me say this movie has become a cult classic in a way. Yes. It definitely has a following now. And when people revisit it, the reviews are better. Oh, yeah. So maybe it's not perfect, but it's not the worst, Roger Ebert. You've betrayed me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the music of this movie, I think, holds up more so than the movie. The music actually did better originally, too, in the Interesting. release. How this came about, the directors of a very Brady sequel were offered this movie. Oh, my God. You're already so in. Mm-hmm. How did I not know that? Right. And they didn't, they didn't want to do it because they didn't want to get in this very niche genre. <laughs> right. Of, like, weird adaptations of 70s shows. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Perfect. But they realized this is the opportunity to create a musical movie. Uh-huh. Let's do it. Okay. So the producer of this movie was, is actually the ex-wife of Babyface. Oh, okay. Kenneth Babyface Edmonds. Uh-huh. And they got Babyface on board to help produce the music. Interesting. He's, he'd never done any kind of, like, pop, punk, like, Blink-182 fun stuff, and he was very interested in trying it. Okay. Uh-huh. So he was like, yeah, I'll do it. They were searching for singers. It ended up being Kay Hanley. You might know her from Letters to Cleo, Ten right. Things I Hate About You. Uh-huh. Um, and the backing vocals were provided by Rachel Lee Cook, Tara Reid, and Rosario Dawson, with the help of the band Biff Naked. Okay. Because, okay. unfortunately, Can't the actresses could not sing. Yeah. Can't they be trusted. They did go to band camp, though, and they c- could play the songs for the movie. I think that's all like you want to do is just go to a band, band camp to potentially play. Like, I feel like that's, like, very fun to be like, oh, we're, like, not musicians. You just want to, like, be the you person You learn there. how to play it knowing if you don't play it perfectly, a it's fake okay. song will be over it. So yeah. it's fine. Uh-huh. Totally. Yes. yes. Exactly. Um, there were a lot of contributors for this album, which included Biff Naked, um, Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne, once again, yeah. Dave Gibbs, and Steve Hurley. Um, you also get, like, Jane from the Go-Go's, some members of Bat Dog, Counting Crows. A lot of people came together to write these songs. Yeah, I Adam think, Duritz, what? I think if you're looking <laughs> at the credits for the song, some of them have ten writers. Oh, wow. Which is crazy. It was yeah. just, like, a big collaborative experience. It's fun. Um, but the songs, 
you may remember, three small words, pretend to be nice, <laughs> spin around, all bops, the CD's in my car right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> right I now. absolutely love it. And the music did, it was well received. The movie was not. The music was. It got a gold album with 500,000 copies. Fun. Despite everyone hating the movie. And then... This cult following created a vinyl release reissue in 2017, which I was there for and I cried. Right. Yes. It was great. Also released on Playtone Records. Yes. From That Thing You Do. Thank you, Tom Hanks. It all comes back to Tom Hanks. It all comes Always back to Tom comes Hanks. back to Tom Hanks. <laughs> but I also want to touch on the boy band the movie gave us, oh, which is yeah. DuJour. Uh-huh. So <laughs> DuJour was Alex Martin, Donald Faison, Seth Green, and Brecken Meyer. They were all in Can't Hardly Wait together, yeah. which also um, Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan were involved in. They're the directors of Josie and the Pussycats. Uh-huh. And there's a little Easter egg in Josie and the Pussycats when they're in the room creating trends for the subliminal messages. Uh-huh. One of them says Can't Hardly Wait was uh, underrated. That's fun. So that's fun. What's but, the name of the band in that movie? It's like Hamburger something. It's like uh, Burger, Love I'm Burger. Blinking. They never actually play. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the whole Much thing. Much like Bill and Ted, they never actually play. Right. Uh-huh. DuJour had a great song called Backdoor Lover, which is very filthy if you... <laughs> yeah. Read the lyrics. When, like, it's 2000 and you're 12, you don't know. You don't know. It's fine. But there's actually talk of DuJour getting their own movie, which I think should happen now, and I would still watch it. I think that yeah. would be very funny. Or even just, like, a pop-up. Like, that's, like, such a pop-up waiting to happen. Like, this like be part of like a terrible movie, like have a whole experience Honestly, or them I'm have a concert. they didn't show up at the Mondo record release. Yeah, that is a little strange. Um, but you love this movie so much. I yeah, feel like I need I to do. rewatch it just for you. I do. It's very cheesy, but it's very fun. And when you were a preteen seeing girls being cool, like covered in glitter. Right. It was, it's perfect. It's perfect. And those little ears. It's all you wanted. Yeah. Those little ears. Okay, I'm going to stay in movies, and I'm going to do School of Rock. Now, I will admit, this is not my area of expertise. I have seen this movie once or twice, maybe. But as I was doing the research, I kind of forgot how much this movie gave us. Like, it just, like, kind of continues, right? Like, School of Rock, then there's, like, a Broadway musical. musical. There's a Nickelodeon TV show. There's an actual School of Rock on Beverly, right by my house. Um, There's a lot of School of Rocks throughout Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. The South Pasadena one, however, performed at the Halloween train, (laughs) and I completely obsessed with those kids. Really? I loved them so much. Yeah. I mean, it's... So it's when you start thinking about like the impact of a fictional band, this has to be right up there because it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. So down on his luck rocker, gets kicked out of his band, no vacancy, Dewey Finn, played by Jack Black. He then fakes being a substitute teacher in order to like get money to pay his rent. Everyone's always trying to pay their rent. Or like Aren't we all? I mean I mean right. that's why we work. <laughs> Right, exactly. Uh, so he discovers that the kids at the school have a lot of musical talent. He casts Zach, I can't, Mooney, Mooneyum, uh, as lead guitarist, Freddie Jones as drummer, cello player, Katie on bass, Lawrence on keyboard, and then he's the lead vocalist and guitarist, which I always thought was a little weird. Like, I felt like he still had to be the front man. Yes, like, 
maybe we give someone else a chance. Like, or are you just using these kids as like well, your vehicle? He was using the kids for the first half as a vehicle. I know, but it's like, and then still... I think he was just kind of like guiding them the second half. I know, but it he has the resolution where you're kind of like. Maybe you step aside. I don't know. It just felt like a little. I was always a little like. Well, there was the eh, about one it. One girl gets to sing. Yeah, she's yeah. great. Yeah, she kills it. She kills it. Um, so they enter this battle of the bands, um, and there's you know, ha- they're not allowed to audition, and they can audition because they say they have a terminal illness. It's like a whole. It's a whole thing. Um, ultimately, they lose to No Vacancy, which is Dewey's old band. But they win the crowd over. The kids are pumped. The parents support it. The parents support it. I had a moment while doing this research where I was like, it's not a band, but did we need to talk about Sister Act 2 in our 90s episode? Because... (laughs) Joyful, joyful. Oh, shit. Like, joyful, joyful. Wow. Just Lauren Hill alone. Man, I like had a moment where I was like, God damn it, we messed up. But there's not a band. They're no, not a band. They're a choir. They're, they're a school choir. It's uh, different. But like, I am a lot of who I am because of that movie, but we'll, we can talk about that. That's for another day. A different day. We could do a Whoopi Goldberg because I loved the movie Eddie and Karina Karina. Ooh, I like Karina. This is the second time we brought up Karina Karina <laughs> in like two weeks. I talk about it a lot. It's fine. <laughs> um, so School of Rock, their like main song, um, it was written by Sammy James Jr. of the band The Mooney Suzuki and also the screenwriter of the movie, Mike White. So Mooney Suzuki plays with them as like their background on the actual soundtrack. Um, and then their other kind of main songs are In Ancient Times and then obviously the ACDC cover. Yeah. It's a long way to the top. In 2013, they did a 10-year reunion and so with, with all the kids. That's crazy. Yeah, I watched like a 10-minute video about it today. That one girl, she can still sing. They can all sing. It was kind of impressive. What, what um, are they doing now? Did it get into that? No. They just sang? They just sang. And they tried to make a sequel. Like, there was a lot going back and forth of how they can kind of continue this. Um, It seems like Jack Black was really all about it, but they couldn't get, like, the screenwriter and uh, Mm. the director, like, everybody back in town, like, all together. it's too late. Yeah. Miranda Cosgrove is a star. She's a star. Then I was like, if I'm talking about Jack Black, do I need to talk about Tenacious D? Because they... Were sort of on a show before they had their comedy album, but then they kind of got to be a real band, and I was like, "I know where are the almost, lines? It's so blurred." Yeah, it almost goes into like a comedy, not even parody. It's not Weird Al, but yeah, they're its own thing. Tenacious D, Tenacious Loves D, that album though. Yeah, and then you think about like Adam Sandler, like that's not a band, but he like has albums, you know. And you think about like. I don't know. It was just the lines got real blurry as I started to do more and more research. You're but stressed. some people. Love this movie. Like, love. It was requested we discuss it. Yes. Which, so I said to you, I was like, ah, I'm not great about it, but if it's requested, obviously yeah. we're going to do it. I now want to send Philly to the little school of rock. You, oh my God, please. Yeah. I will go to every concert. Well, because every time Eric plays a guitar at home, she just goes, tar, tar. And then she strums <laughs> the guitar and is like the cutest thing ever. So I think I need to get her a baby guitar and send her to the school of rock on Beverly. Wow, please do I will. that. What do you have? Okay. I am going to go with another CD I keep in my car. I cannot believe. I have three to four CDs in my car. Yeah. Two of them are fictional bands from the 2000s. That makes sense. I know you. That makes sense. To to me, it tracks. So Hedvig and the Angry Inch. Yeah. Maybe most of you know it as a musical. Lately, it starred Neil Patrick Harris. Right. Mm -hmm. 
right. I'm very particular to one version okay. of this. Okay, all right. So the musical actually came out in 1998, but it became a film that came out in 2001. Hmm. So it's a musical about a fictional rock and roll band fronted by a transgender punk rock girl from East Berlin. Wow, it's a lot. Lot it's to a take lot in. to take in. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie essentially is the band touring the U.S. as Hedvig kind of tells her journey, her like how she got where she was, at the same time following her former lover who stole her songs. This guy's Tommy Gnosis, and he's become this huge star. So Tommy Gnosis is playing these arenas while Hedvig is playing like a buffet in the same city. <laughs> oh, tough. Mm-hmm. They're just like following his tour, playing shitty venues. Gotcha. As she tells their whole story and how she became who she is and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Stephen Trask uh, created the music and lyrics for the stage musical and the film. And his real-life band, Cheater, performed as Hedvig's band, The Angry Inch, in the movie. This, uh, he received an Obie Award for the play and a Grammy nomination for the movie. Did not win. Should have won. Should have won. (laughs) The songs are very, like, angry rock and roll, and then there are very... Like, sad, like, piano. I'd say a lot of influence from, like, glam rock or queen, a lot of that coming in. Um, Some of the songs, Tear Me Down, for example, talks about, like, her hometown of Berlin, like, with the wall up being split in two, as well as being part male and part female. Mm -hmm. Every song is, like, pretty deep. Yeah. But seems fun on the outside. Right. At karaoke, last time I went, performed Angry Inch by myself. (laughs) And it is mostly yelling, and it is about the sex change operation. Uh-huh. And so I was just screaming, like, where my penis used to be, where my <laughs> vagina never was, into this karaoke room. My friends did not know what was going on. Uh, but it's still a great song. And these songs uh, are pretty beloved. They actually did a charity album in 2003. I don't know, sometime in the 2000s. Um, And all the proceeds uh, went to the Hendrick Martin Institute, which is the home of the Harvey Milk High School. Oh, interesting. Um, But it has one of my favorite bands, Sleater Kinney, cover a song. Um, It's just very beloved, very fun. My mom also loves it. I think that's kind of why I love it. Mm -hmm. And most recently, um, I know you haven't, we haven't watched Sex Education yet, the Netflix show. But one of my favorite current artists, Ezra Furman, they use his music for a lot of the show, and he's actually in an episode oh, interesting. playing at a school dance. Oh, cool. And he covers Hedvig's Origin of Love. And I heard my roommate watching it, and I came out of my room screaming, <laughs> and I almost cried. So so now you really need to watch yeah. Sex I, Education. I, I, musically, I just think a lot of the songs are beautiful, and I could cry listening to some of them. Are you going to cry right now? You have a... You have a mist in no, your eye. I think that's just the illness coming oh. through. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, so I'm a little bit out. I, I feel like I have a trump card to play at the end, but I th- what? I think I'm, I'm going to keep – I'm just going to do it now because otherwise I feel like you're going to talk forever. Okay. Stillwater. Mm. Almost famous. Mm. Damn. I was going to say hottest fictional band, but really only two out of four, but mm. – So <laughs> – as I was doing this research, I listened to so only one Stillwater song on the actual Almost Famous soundtrack, yes, which is Fever Dog, as it should be. Like that's that's their, that's their song. Yeah. Um, but when you go to the Wikipedia page, there's a whole section on other music included 
in the movie, half of which is Stillwater stuff, but it's not on the soundtrack. Yeah, it's not even in the movie, really. No, but do you... There's one song I know. So I always really liked Love Thing. Yeah, Yeah. that's the other one in the movie. Okay, and I always kind of liked it better than Fever Dog, although I was just listening to Fever Dog again, and I really like it. (laughs) So I was like, hmm. So Stillwater is Russell Hammond, Billy Crudup. Jeff, is it BB or Babe? I hear BB. It's BB. After like BB Buell, I, in my brain I was like, mm-hmm. mm, is this after BB Buell? Probably. Well, because like Penny Lane's maybe after BB Buell too, so yeah, I was thinking about and that. Pamela DeBar. Right. Jason Lee, um, Ed Valencourt, John Frederick, and Larry Fellows, Mark Kozalek. Um, so this Stillwater is essentially a compilation of the bands that Cameron Crowe followed around when he was a teenage writer. For Rolling right. Stone. So it's Poco, the Almond Brothers, uh, Led Zeppelin, Eagles, and Leonard Skinner. And when you know that those are the bands and then you start listening to this music, you're like, mm-hmm. Nailed it. Nailed it. Like, in a way where you don't anticipate and then you're like, oh, yeah. Because every once in a while you'll get a little bit of Eagles that you weren't expecting and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so Stillwater, though, was a real band. It was a real name of a band. And they um, were signed to Capricorn Records. And they the movie had to get their permission to do it. I was going to ask. Yeah. And so essentially, though, the movie initially was like, do you want to just do it for free? And the band was like, no. no. Um, so they did get paid a little bit. I couldn't find anywhere, like, how much they actually got paid. And the guy who was the um, guitarist, the real guitarist Bobby Golden was like, yeah, they came to us. They didn't really have to. They probably could have done it, but they knew that we would like sue them mm-hmm. afterwards. So that's why they did it. Um, well, a fictional Stillwater more popular? Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, also, Peter Frampton served as a technical consultant on the film. And then Crow and his then wife, which I always kind of forget, Nancy Wilson. Yes, Hart. Of Hart. Um, so she wrote Fever Dog. Uh Right? Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but they wrote three of the five Stillwater songs in the film, and then Frampton wrote the other two with Mike McCready um, of Pearl Jam. Like, I feel like Pearl Jam has cropped up here way more than I anticipated, yeah. too. Who knew? Uh, and then, obviously, you can't talk about Stillwater without talking about their groupies. Particular- They're not groupies. <laughs> They're Band-Aids. They're Band-Aids. Um, particularly Penny Lane, who's based on the real Penny Lane. Um and again, like Pamela DeBars and B.B. Buell uh, all kind of have influence over this section. Um, so an interesting thing that I saw, too, because the soundtrack won a Grammy uh, for Best Compilation Album. That's a thing? It's a thing. A couple of these soundtracks were nominated okay. for that. had no idea. Uh, so he took a copy of the film to London to a special screening with Led Zeppelin members Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. After the screening, Led Zeppelin granted Crow the right to use one of their songs on the soundtrack the first time they had done that since allowing Crow to use Cashmere in Fast Times at Ridgemont That's High. That's crazy. Also, the movie has two to three Led Zeppelin songs in it. The soundtrack has one. Correct. Yes. So I don't know how that all works. And then Led Zeppelin, same thing for School of Rock. Jack Black basically staged like a fake concert, like I think from that final scene, mm-hmm. um, and 
sent Led Zeppelin a video of this like fake concert of people like demanding Led Zeppelin music in this movie and then they also granted because they're very notorious for not giving access. So you just to have to really make a video or go visit and they'll do it. Yeah, they just <laughs> just make extra effort. That's just it. put in they just need to be, you know, loved. Um <laughs> and that, that's it. They just want that. But I distinctly remember the amount of buttons undone on Russell Hammond just being like, <laughs> I excuse sat up me, so straight. What? Because he knew what I was gonna say, and I can just like see him playing with like only one or two buttons done. Russell Hammond changed my life. <laughs> um, but what is it about Billy Crudup where he's only hot with a mustache? That's the reason I saw 20th Century Woman because he brought his mustache back. Interesting. And it was around like the same yeah. era. So I said, I have to see this movie. I, I don't know. I've never really given it much bu- much thought, but now that you mention it. Also, yeah. Jason Lee, a babe in this movie, too. Is. Wow. Yeah. Weird. Never a sentence you thought you'd say. I mean, I've said it many times. <laughs> I mean, and I, I mean, mean, have you seen My Name is Earl, Marin? <laughs> uh, never forget that his son's name is no, this Pilot movie, Inspector. This movie, this fictional band, wrecked me as a teen I had blonde curly hair. I was just trying to live my Penny Lane truth, but I was really William the boy. Um, <laughs> Maybe you could be like Anita. Maybe you could be a sister. Maybe somewhere in between. That's even worse, probably. <laughs> um, this movie did terribly at the box office. Terribly. Also, let me just say, Roger Ebert, one of his favorite movies. Yeah. C- critically received very well. Um, won Golden Globes, nominated for Oscars. Did not do well at all at the box office. That's and now so it's, weird. I know. I'm in, I don't think I saw it in the movie theater. I didn't. No. Um, but I love this movie so much. Um, I love the Mona Lisas and Mad Hatters, like, which is my favorite Elton John song, and it's in this movie too, and I'm always just like, I don't know. There's just a feeling about this movie. It connects that's, me to like... Ultimately, that's what this movie is. It's yeah, a feeling. It's a feeling. It's a very good way to say it. A lot of the stuff too from the actual movie is based on what happened to Cameron Crowe when he was essentially William. Um, Like the diving into the pool, that's Mm -hmm. actually something that Dwayne Allman did. Um, And there's just a lot of pieces of this movie that are true. And Stillwater feels like a real band. Like you could listen to a full album of that music and feel very much in the 70s, but be like, yeah. Yeah, it could be on any classic rock station. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that they are a real band. And, you know, especially because they're talking about other real bands Mm -hmm. in the context of this movie that you're just like, oh, I thought this was like a biopic. Like, (laughs) I don't know what. Okay, great. Uh, Okay, what else? I feel like you have a couple Um, more. I have a – yeah, I have a few. Uh, Since you said biopic, Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to go into Dewey Cox in Walk Hard. Right. I can't not mention this movie. It, it's a perfect parody of a biopic, mostly like uh, Walk the Line, but then there's a lot of Ray Charles yeah. mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Um, so it basically follows singer Dewey Cox, played by John C. Riley, as he overcomes adversity to become a musical legend. Have there ever been more characters named Dewey than like in the 2000s? What? Like, so crazy. I'm like, I can't name more one, than one more. It's just two. We mentioned both okay. of them in this movie or in this episode. <laughs> cool. Uh, the cast and crew for this movie recorded 40 original songs. That's insane. But 33 are actually in the movie. Okay. But when you think about it, 
So they're making fun of different genres throughout Dewey Cox's life. Right. He's going through time. The music changes. So they're doing so many different kinds of songs, mm-hmm. not just a bunch of country songs or whatever. Right. They So much fun. That's all I can think of. How much fun did they have creating these songs? Right. John C. Riley sang on all of the tracks and played guitar on most of them. He's very talented. I was going to say, did he have to go to band camp or he just he did like, not. oh, great. Good for him. Um, a lot of the singer-songwriters uh, included Dan Byrne and Mike Viola of the Candy Butchers. They wrote most of them, including There's a Change of Happening, Mulatto, A Life Without You, Beautiful Ride, and Hole in My Pants. <laughs> uh, Charlie Wadhams wrote the song Let's Duet, and Marshall Crenshaw wrote the original title song, Walk Hard. Do you know these songs? I remember A Hole in My Pants. Um, <laughs> like, of all the ones I'm going to remember, that's it. Beautiful Ride, actually, I have the soundtrack, and if it comes on, it kind of makes me a little emotional. Oh, really? It's very nice. Huh. It's a very lovely song because it's at the end. It right. kind of wraps up every his mm-hmm. whole life. Yeah. But my favorite one specifically is the one in the style of Bob Dylan. It's called Royal Jelly. Rim job, fairy teapots, mask the temper tantrum. Oh, say, can you see him? And it's essentially John C. Riley just giving a Bob Dylan impression, but and saying nonsense words. Right. And it's absolutely perfect. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and could maybe say the same thing for Dylan, so it makes sense. Yeah. A number of critics noted the unusually high quality of all of the individual songs and how well they reflected each style and time they were attempting to parody and how well they stood out on their own as quality compositions. The soundtrack was actually nominated for both a Grammy and a Golden Globe. Huh. Did not win? No, did not win. Hmm. Don't know what beat it, but it did not win. Tragedy. Yeah. I think this movie's hilarious. John C. Riley is so great, especially when he's doing that weird kind of... Beach Boys, Paul Simon thing, bringing in percussionists from around the world Uh and animals trying to make all of these sounds. Yeah. It's just like... If you haven't seen this movie in 10 years or so, it's time to rewatch. Yeah. I think it's underrated. Very funny. I feel like John C. Riley kind of in general is underrated, and everything that he's ever in is great. That's true. It's true. Starting with Never Been Kissed. Exactly. I was like, right there. Right there. There. Yeah. Okay, I feel like you have more. Me? Again? Yeah, you again. I have so I'm out. Many. I'm out. Wow. Lauren's weakling. I, I told you this was my, this was okay. exposing my weaknesses. I think we need to touch on Steel Dragon from Rockstar. <laughs> okay. I was thinking about it. I've seen this movie a few times. Really? And it's very bad, and I don't know why I've seen it, but it's kind of one of those movies where you can't stop watching it yeah. once you turn it on. I get it. I've seen it once, but definitely not. No need to see it again. Yeah, maybe you maybe watch it. Maybe. So lead singer of a tribute band, Chris Cole. They're, they're a tribute band for the metal band Steel Dragon. Mm-hmm. They idolize this band, and he eventually becomes lead singer of the real band he's obsessed with. Okay. Steel Dragon. Right. So this is actually inspired by the story of Tim Ripper Owens. He's a singer in Judas Priest. He was originally a singer in a Judas Priest tribute band. Uh-huh. And he was chosen to replace uh, Rob Halford when he left Judas Priest. Crazy. Now, someone from Judas Priest has seen this movie and was like, wow, they should have asked us about this. Right. this is terrible. <laughs> right. I saw the movie. I don't need to see it again. That's uh-huh. basically what, what you and he said. Yes, great. It's funny because he goes to this rock concert 
like an arena tour and the he gets in the very front and he is just screaming along to these steel dragon songs like feeling it and the uh-huh. singer notices and the singer is so like done right he's done just over it. he's like come up here and he takes over the show and becomes that's just the it singer. yeah like he's just like i'm out he's just yeah no i'm good you no, can do this now. perfect right. bye <laughs> So he joins the band as their new singer. He becomes Izzy. Chris is gone. It's now Izzy. They go on tour. His girlfriend, Jennifer Aniston, mm-hmm. comes along. She has long hair with bangs. Yeah. That's really what you need to know about her character. Yep. Mm-hmm. And things essentially fall apart. So she's there. I think they end up having a threesome on drugs at one point. Because she's, like, totally normal. She's normal. She's, like, and not into this. And her life. Yes. It's making him different. Uh-huh. Everything's ruined. He ends up, at the end, leaving Steel Dragon the same way he came in. He brought in a super fan to ruin their life, right. I guess, and uh-huh. leaves Steel Dragon, becomes a more down-to-earth, grungy singer, and Jennifer Aniston returns. He's their show, and they, like, kiss, and they're still in love. That's the movie of Rockstar. It's Mark Wahlberg, right? Like, this it whole time, a, I'm like, we're not Mark talking Wahlberg. about that it's we Mark Wahlberg. We should talk about that. Yeah. Um, it is Mark... <laughs> Wahlberg. Marky Mark. It's, yeah. But the majority of the songs are played by 80s musicians. Love. Including Mark Wahlberg's singing voice, which actually belongs to Mike Majevic. Sure. Sure. That's the lead singer of the band Steelheart. Oh. Not Steel, no Steel Dragon. Dragon. Steelheart. Steelheart. Mm-hmm. Um, we All Die Young is one of the big songs that they sing in this movie. It's a hot jam. Do you love heavy metal? Yeah, you do. <laughs> Most of the musicians in this movie are actual musicians. Obviously, Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark, and the Funky Bunch. Yeah. We've got Jason Bonham, who's the son of John Bonham. I was just going to say, is that John Bonham? Jumper for Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Uh-huh. Jeff of. Pilsen, he's the bassist for Dokken. Zach Wilde played with several bands, including Ozzy. Um, and then Blas Elias is the drummer of Slaughter. And there were a bunch more, but I really need to focus on this one. There is a small moment outside the Steel Dragon Mansion where a woman's playing a guitar. It is vitamin C. What? How? I don't know. Maybe she's writing graduation. (laughs) She is in this movie. (laughs) Important. Important that you brought that up. (laughs) I don't care for the fact that Zach Wilde's name is spelled with two Ks. Controversial. Z-A-K-K. Yeah. No, don't need that second K. Does anyone? No. no. Continue. Um, for this movie, Mark Wahlberg hung out with a lot of rock stars during his Marky Mark days. Of course so he, he was like, I got this. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need to do more research. I was made to do this movie. Oh, my God. Which, nightmare. Right. Yeah, um, don't say that ever. But he actually spent five months preparing for the role, working with a vocal coach and growing his hair, attending some more metal concerts to get into this character. Uh, one of funny thing I liked about this is during one of the fake arena shows, they played a prank on him and played Good Vibrations, <laughs> which I can only imagine upset Mark He Wahlberg. does not like no, it. No, he does not no. like to talk about it. No. Maybe back in 2001, 2003, he was down for that Maybe. joke, but you can't do that in 2019. No. You get beat up. He does not care for it. Yeah. Um, also, there's a, the song at the end, Colorful. By the Verve Pipe <laughs> is his down-to-earth grungy song. And uh, Verve Pipe. everyone has to watch this dumb movie because his looks 
from like metal rock star to grunge rocker. Yeah. They're both ridiculous. They're equally bad. Right. It's terrible, but we had to mention this fictional band. It was a movie that's like always on VH1. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you're just her, it'll be on TV every once in a while. This is a weird comparison I'm about to make, but just like remember when Garth Brooks became Chris, Chris Gaines? I am obsessed <laughs> with that for eternity. Yeah. And like it's kind and of. he looks like Ben Stiller on the front. Yeah, and he's got that like his hair over his eye and like eyeliner. It's like just a totally different vibe. I feel like that's what happens a little bit in Rockstar. Um, you get your Chris Gaines situation <laughs> at the end. I would love a movie about Garth Brooks' Chris Gaines, like the alter ego of Chris Gaines. Yeah, just like the backstory, the origin yeah. story of Chris Gaines. Yeah, that is this what like we a write? good adult swim cartoon. Yeah, or we pitch it to like CMT and they're like, yeah, sure. Sure. We'll make it. Finally. Oh, finally. There are more we could have on this so list. So many more. But we got to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. I need to mention the musicians of A Mighty Wind. So you have the Folksmen, Mitch and Mickey, and the Main Street Singers. Yeah. Kind of a spinoff of Spinal Tap, but not. Right. Uh So A Mighty Wind came out in 2003. It's a mockumentary about a folk music reunion in which three folk bands reunite for a television performance for the first time in decades. It is shocking to me that this is 2003. It doesn't feel that long ago. No, not at all. I was like, what? Okay. So this film is widely acknowledged to reference the 2003 tribute concert to folk music producer Harold Leventhal. And that reunited several folk groups that he had managed, like Woody Guthrie, Alan Arkin, Judy Collins, Joan Baez, um, Don McLean, a lot of other people. Okay. And obviously it's just a parody of 60s folk music in general. Mm -hmm. So the Folksmen, fictional American music trio, conceived and performed by Christopher Guest, Michael McKean, and Harry Shearer. Mm -hmm. Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap. Originally created in 1984 for an SNL sketch, the Folksmen maintained public appearances here and there. They would open for Spinal Tap. Amazing. So the three of them would just change, even though musically, like, fan Totally different. Completely different. Uh They would just have these different personas to switch it up. The Folksmen are actually a direct parody of the Kingston Trio, right down to the album covers, like, the way they looked and the way they performed. I had to YouTube them, but yes. 100% 100% they nailed accurate. it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other group, the the new Main Street Singers, were a parody of the new Christy Minstrels. Hmm. Minstrels? Minstrels. <laughs> One L. Oh. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Everyone that played instruments in this movie learned for the movie. Band camp. This includes Parker Posey learning to play the mandolin. Love that. Just for this movie. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know. Like, play for me, Parker. Like, <laughs> I, love, I love that. <laughs> With, like, her, like, braces, play, just, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. That wasn't Best in Show, yes, but yes. I know, but you know, no, mind them all. No, it's, like, I want the braces from Best in Show with her playing the mandolin, just, like, in real life. Like, I don't want her as a character. I want her Great. as Parker Posey we'll just hire her to for come to my office and play for me <laughs> with braces on. Go. <laughs> Every song featured in the film was written by members of the cast or guest long-term music collaborator, C.J. Vanston, hmm. A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow, it's the Mitch and Mickey popular song, was composed by Michael McKean and his wife, Annette O'Toole, and they were actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, oh, and yeah. then Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara actually performed it in character at the Oscars that year. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And the songs written by 
that pair, the husband and wife duo, were written in cars like coming from Vancouver to LA because it was right after 9/11. Oh yeah, couldn't fly. And they didn't they couldn't fly and she was working on Smallville, oh. which filmed in Vancouver like a lot of CW WB shows oh, do. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they were writing all the songs on that commute. That commute, that like 20-hour commute. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, A Mighty Wind won Best Song for a Motion Picture, Television, or Other Visual Media at the 46th Grammy Awards. Hmm. So this was a pretty good... Fictional band. Yeah. Actually won stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, My favorite from the Folksman, though, is Old Joe's Place. That was, like, when they do the flashbacks, that's their big hit song. Oh, yeah. And they play it at the end. Uh E-F-O's. Well... And I feel like this actually aligns a lot with what Steve Martin's music sounds like today, which okay. I hate. Really? I love Steve Martin, but I'm not going near his banjo serious music. Yeah, because it keep it away. I think it's because it's like it's serious. Yeah, he takes him. He's taking himself too seriously. Yeah, that's the thing. and that's like you're Steve Martin. Yeah, that's you gross. can't do that. Um, if you have the DVD though, the special features shows the entire concert oh, wow. as it would have aired on television. Oh. So you can watch like the Main Street Singers do their like whole set or come back and do it's like a variety show. You That's can watch fun. the entire thing. Do you own the DVD? I do somewhere. Your um collection of movies and movie soundtracks is unparalleled. I don't know anyone that has as many movie soundtracks as you do. Or just mm-hmm. like Blu-ray with special edition director cuts of anything. It's funny because I don't like musicals. Like like a rent or yeah, like I hate you, rent. Like as a movie or as a musical Both. like a play. You don't, I don't like a musical. Like, I couldn't get through that movie. No. But I mean like even I, is it rent specific or is it the genre? I do love Mamma Mia, but that's a jukebox musical. It's different. Oh, because it's actual songs. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's not just know. people breaking out into like Yeah. But I love Disney. It's a weird thing. Yeah, because you like really Disney. I just can't really get into Broadway. Hmm. It's a little over the top. It can be. What would you? What are your thoughts about something that's like Mean Girls that's now a mm, musical? That's not for me. You don't want to see it? I would see it, but it's not. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Hard. But to, I love a movie soundtrack. Hard to pin songs, down, Natalie so Burris. <laughs> I don't even know how this is different. Mm, I don't know. What are your thoughts on then like Oh Brother Where Out though? Like, do you like that movie? Yeah, but that's they only sing one song. Right, but like their whole thing is like that's completely not like Broadway. I'm just saying I'm just I'm trying to get a sense of like where your boundaries are of like where you put definition around things. I don't know. We also should mention pop for music and lyrics. Mm -hmm. Pop goes my heart. Yeah. Hugh Grant. People love the Weird Sisters from Harry Potter. And I'm kinda like, eh, like it's they're fine. Also, High Fidelity had a lot of bands like Sonic Death Monkey, mm. Kathleen Turner Overdrive, yeah. Barry Jive and the Uptown Five. That's a good movie. I haven't seen that in a long time. I haven't either. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of fictional bands. Can you think of fictional bands for today? Mm. Uh, just off the top of your head. I can't. I'd have to think about it. No. There I'm must drawing be. Drawing a total blank. There must be things. Because now I feel like there's so much content. I feel like there has to be something that, we're, that we don't know about. Yeah. Or that we're just not thinking about. Yeah, please tell us. Please tell us. If you know of one. Yeah, if you guys are, what did we miss? We know we missed Joyful Joyful in the 90s series. I'm kind of bummed that no one brought it up, that I had to think about it myself. Um, But we know that there are things we missed in the 2000s. And please tell us things that are going on today that we might not know about. 
so we can check it out. So I can buy the soundtrack. Yeah, so Natalie can add to her soundtrack <laughs> collection. Send us an email, hellofangirls at gmail.com, or find us on social. So until next week, bye. bye.